We are live for a new episode of the Electric Podcast. I am Fred Lambert, your host, and as usual, I'm joined by Seth Wintraub. How are you doing this week, Seth? I'm good. All right. I hope you are because we have plenty of news to discuss this week, and we're going to start with an interesting one, one that when we posted it a few days ago, we weren't exactly sure if it was the real deal, but now we are like 99.9% .9 sure it is, and that's the um, Model 3 refresh, Tesla Model 3. Project Highland, they're calling it. That's the internal code. So this image here was leaked on Reddit earlier this week with just the caption, like, this is a new Highland um, Model 3. But with, without any more information in that, uh, we can confirm anything. And the person, I started to look into the person that posted it, and I could tell that they work in the auto industry, but not necessarily for Tesla. So I was like, all right, this is kind of weird. But since then, other... Well, the same or similar Model 3s with, like, as we've seen before, with the camouflage on the uh, bumper front and back were spotted. And when you look at a side-by-side -side images of those versus this one, that is, as you can see, just partly uncovered, though the, the good part, the part that is being updated, the front end is uh, completely uncovered, it looks like it matches. Uh, and obviously, it's, it's, it shows why Tesla was hiding these parts specifically, because only the front and back bumpers were hidden. Normally, when an auto manufacturer has a prototype, they will camouflage the whole thing. But not Tesla in this case. Obviously, like you, you can tell it's a Model 3 just by the shape. But uh, they were trying to hide what was modified. And in this case, the headlights. The headlights have been... That are the biggest difference and it's not exactly clear like just how big the difference is in the front fascia of it like how much is that just influenced by the radically different headlights that are longer more elongated uh sharper a little bit um and it looks like they are there's more there's more headlights on the top of the hood of the car rather than just front side i don't know if that makes sense the way I explain like you see it a little bit more on this one like for like you, you can see the headlights if you had a bird's eye view of the car, you could see more of the headlights as you would normally. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, um, also, isn't there that that what do they call it? The fish mouth thing at the front. The lip. The, yeah. Yeah, the lip looks a little bit extended, a little bit sharper, um, and but at the same time, like the, the fact that there's no Tesla logo on it. I don't know, like that also contribute to the fact that it looks different too to me. Uh, like you, you'd put the Tesla logo. I mean, obviously this is a Tesla, but it, it would look different. So I don't know if I don't know if they are eliminating the badge for it, or if it's because it's a prototype they didn't put it on. Uh, but you know, I like it. I think I think it would it looks better without a badge. Yeah, uh, it looks more aggressive a little bit. Like the front is not modified that much, but just a little. The the, the change in the angle, it's a little bit more like. When Tesla first launched on Model 3, a lot of people were saying that it was Porsche-like, the front end, a little bit. That kind of died down the comparison over time just because now there's like 2 million Model 3s on the road. Right. So like now this is the Tesla look. It's not even, but there's more, there's more Model 3s in the, in the world right now than this Porsche vehicles. Uh, I might be exaggerating, but barely. Um, so, so now it looks even more like that, a little bit more aggressive to me, I think. Um, but that's basically the only changes that we can detect. Some people zoomed in into the the windshield here, looking at the 
a driver's side and they see this sort of like bump on the dash and they believe that it might be a front uh, an instrument cluster display but honestly i don't see it that much i think it's more like of an angle it could be anything it looks like almost there's a hole on it because so it can be like the steering wheel and something on the steering wheel it can it could be a lot of things so i don't know about that also i would be shocked if tesla was to have a screen to the model 3 because um everything points to tesla actually like trying to save cost on on the model 3 right now so adding feature is not really like uh especially hardware like that it's not tesla like really but so far I mean, this this is uh, this is good. This is even though it's not a major update, what they did change is is solid. I really like the front end, and um, so kudos to the Tesla designers behind this because this is this is sharp and looking. It does kind of look like uh, Ben Ben. What's that company called? Un uh, Unplugged Performance. Unplugged Performance has a uh, front end that kind of looks like this yeah they definitely have a front end that is a front bumper that is more aggressive like that it's not doesn't look exactly like it but yeah i i, I understand the comparison yeah so yeah technically you could you could buy that right now if you don't want to uh wait for the model 3 refresh with this probably still a few months away still though um don't be uh, surprised at the cost because i think that thing is also like uh, super light everything it's all like performance stuff uh, hence the name a few more Tesla Cybertruck sighting this week too, um, including we see the front. Well, we don't see the front trunk, but we see the hood open, which could lead us to believe how big the front trunk could be. And um, this is the uh, Tesla Cybertruck spotted at Gigafactory Texas, which is kind of new because uh, most of the sightings have been in uh, California lately. And uh, now there was a sighting. Tesla seems to have built some kind of wind tunnel outside of Gigafactory, Texas, and they are right now testing uh, presumably the aerodynamic performance of the Cybertruck inside that wind tunnel. And in one of the signing, you see here the, um, the front trunk, uh, the, the, the hood of the Cybertruck is open, and uh, it's, it's a little bit reminiscent of uh, the Ford and 150 Lightning uh, hood and how large it opens up into a massive front trunk or front big enough to uh filter really a couple of bodies really <laughs> or like golf, a golf bag or golf bags <laughs> barbecue pits yeah ball pits uh, -huh. uh and the other siding at uh, the same truck but a different siding was the interesting part is the windshield wiper so you get a, a bird's eye view of the windshield wiper in operation which if you're not following the Cybertruck program closely, you're like, hey, Fred, what are you talking about the windshield wiper? Well, believe it or not, the windshield wiper on the Cybertruck has been somewhat controversial because instead of using a double wiper system like most cars where you can hide them um, at the bottom of the windshield, Tesla is using a one giant wiper that sits on the side of this, uh, within view on the side of the windshield, which uh, people have been kind of... Uh, uh, upset about because it, it doesn't seem like the best design obviously and elon sort of admitted it and said that it wouldn't be what uh, would end up in production but in fact uh everything points right now to it being well we, in the Cybertruck beta prototype at least which is the closest one to production we've seen so far it's always been this one uh so i don't know if we see uh no 
Well, we're not have a great view of it, but yeah. So yeah, everything points to the windshield wiper still being in play. Other uh, interesting news that came out this week is uh, we got some kind of a preview for a big upcoming Tesla software update. Uh, it's being pushed right now to Tesla employees based on Tesla Scope, which has insight into a lot of Tesla vehicles uh, through their uh, their app that they sell to um, to Tesla owners. So right now it's being called a 2023.12, and it includes mainly a lot of UI changes. So the, normally it's something that Tesla keeps for uh, the big end of the year update, but um, now we're getting it mid-year, it sounds like. So there's a lot of uh, new things. So two different font size. So you're going to be able to change the font size of your vehicle. So our um, maybe a little bit older <laughs> Tesla owners are going to be happy about that. They're going to be able to read more clearly uh, the uh, user interface. Uh, so you're going to be able to, there's just going to be two size. So the standard one, uh, assuming it's the existing one, and then the larger one that you're going to be able to um, to have. Uh, in the control settings, you now have a new search function, so you're going to be able to find the settings through that. So that's also nice. Um, Tesla is also improving the point of interest on the navigation system with the car now adding photos and reviews of those locations. So it's basically some kind of integration of a Google Map, if you will. Uh, a little bit more customization on the steering wheel scrolls. So if you're a test owner, you know that the, the scrolls on your steering wheels are one of the main way you interact with the car other than the touchscreen or voice control. And um, these are getting like customization now so that they can be used for different things. Uh, so the way it's going to work is... Um, you can adjust, I think, like brightness and acceleration mode or performed action, like toggling the camera app, opening the glove box, and saving dash cam footage. So how you do it is you long press on the left scroll button to bring up a list of function and scroll through the list. So you're going to have a lot more functionality through those scroll uh, on the steering wheel. Uh, all right, this is another one. This is specifically for Model S and X. On the rear screen of the car, this is now is going to allow... Uh, the, the people in the back to have access to the passenger seat control of the front only when the vehicle is on park. Uh, the logic behind that is when getting in and out of the car to make it easier, you can actually uh, move forward those seats in order to get it out easier. Makes sense. That's a, a good little uh, add-on. Uh, the Get to Know Your Tesla, which is sort of like an in-car, on-screen manual that uh, has been creeping into the software update lately, but not everybody has it. Uh, it's uh, it's being added now to more vehicles, so that's uh, that's nice, uh, especially for new owners. And uh, Tesla is also bringing the Zoom video calling app to more markets, so keep a lookout if you don't have it yet in your markets. You might be able to get it soon, even though I don't see a giant use case for that. Uh, not yet, not until uh, uh, full self-driving is. Perfect. Yeah, but also like your phone, like there's the Zoom app on yeah. your phone is pretty yeah. damn good at all <laughs> compared to that. I just I just don't see it. Uh, then there's gonna be a lot, bunch of other like smaller like UI changes, so you can expect your UI to uh, evolve with the, this next update. Though it's being pushed to test the uh, employees right now, so I don't know exactly when it's gonna come to test the owners just yet. All right, next one is uh, some market share data came out this week, which uh, the media jumped on, uh, as usual. 
to see that Tesla is losing this uh, its dominance on the U.S. market because registration numbers in um, February, uh, in January and February that just came out show that uh, the market share in the EV market in the U.S. for Tesla fell to 58%. Ooh, so bad. All the way down to over half the market. <laughs> yeah, to still a strong majority of the market. Um, so and this this is the, the interesting part to see. So this is based on Tesla having just just short of ninety six thousand new U.S. registration in uh, January or February, which is a thirty five percent increase for the, the same period last year. So it's still a lot of growth, but they claim that the market share went from seventy percent to fifty eight percent. That that and that's fair. That's that that makes sense. Although what I wrote in the article that I think it's very important to specify, which of course the other media didn't, is that Tesla having a v quite different m delivery and and sales models than all other automakers, which is not using the dealership model um, and rather going direct to consumer. And the fact that in the U.S., Tesla delivers only car in the U.S. that they built in the U.S., but those factories, namely uh, Tesla Fremont and Gigafactory Texas, produce cars not just for the U.S. market, but also for the European market and uh, Asian market for Model S and X. So what that results in is that the first two months of the quarter, they are often building cars for those markets that they put then on ships to get delivered by the end of the quarter. Uh, so that results in a lower availability of cars in the U.S. for the first two months and a much higher availability in the third month. In some cases, less so these days because Tesla has been trying to smoothen that, that, those delivery waves. But in some cases, Tesla would deliver more cars in the last month of the quarter than in the, the first two. So it's something to consider about because then that would make the, even though they, they would get a much smaller market shares in the first two months, they would get like, 80 90 percent market share in march so something to keep an eye on obviously we don't have those numbers just yet but we have this those overall global deliveries of over 420,000 cars in q1 uh, with 95,000 in um, uh, in the first two months uh, i would expect probably at least 60,000 more in the u.s maybe even more than that maybe 80,000 uh, it, it makes a big difference and and anyway, fifty eight percent is the last, like we just said. And we always expected to. Yeah, that I was going to say it's always been our expectation that Tesla would not be the the majority of electric vehicles on the market. There's just too many other players. Like there's just too many tastes in the market. Like it's not like uh, the iPhone, where you know maybe it is like the iPhone. I don't know. We'll see. But our expectation mm -hmm. is the other makers will catch up, so to speak. Yeah, well, yeah, so it was always our expectation that, yeah, the other automakers will increase the volumes, will have different models and everything, and Tesla's overall market share would go down, but the volume of Tesla would keep going up. Like Tesla still has room to grow itself in the U.S. and other markets, too. It's just uh, in terms of percentage, like you cannot keep, like it used to be at 80% for the longest time, and then they slowly went down to around 60% now, like between 60 and 70 uh, so the first time that they did below 60 and then like, everyone is freaking out. <laughs> Even though it was the first two months of the year again. Yeah. All right, this, this just came out overnight. Uh, Tesla cut the prices on Model 3, Model Y in Europe and Asia and other markets. So this is not too surprising. Obviously, we reported last week on the 
price going down in the US. So markets to markets, it's changed a little bit, but uh, we expected this to follow uh, this quarter. So we published a whole list of, uh, of changes here uh, in, um, in all the different European market, well, the main ones, at least Norway, Germany, France, the Netherlands. And um, yeah, it's about uh, 10% at worst, well, at worst, well, depending on <laughs> from what standpoint you have. But yeah, between five and ten percent, depending on the markets and the models. Oh yeah, well, one interesting part about this though that uh, adds to it is that again, unlike in the U.S., Tesla has some PR people in Europe, and they did release a statement re uh, regarding those price cuts. And it's similar to the last time they did it, so I think it pretty much copy pasted from the last one. So our mission is to accelerate the transition to renewable energy. Our master plans has set a clear path to achieve that mission. The transformation of cost-intensive small series product to cheaper mass series vehicles is the explanation for the the price drop, uh, which. To be fair, sort of makes sense in terms of Gigafactory Berlin because they didn't recently rent about 5,000 units. So I'm sure that they are economies of scales on that front. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's nothing uh, nothing crazy really. Yeah, but it, it is kind of interesting to see like, you know, this is what we want. We want uh, electric vehicles to be more accessible to more people. Um, Tesla has tons of room in its margin to come down it can come down quite a bit whereas you know i think the other electric vehicle makers are having problems making vehicles even at the price that they're they're putting out now i think ford said they lost two or three million billion dollars um so you know the people who are calling this kind of like a price war it's not i guess it's not as hyperbolic as as uh you would think Im immediately because this is going to kind of force the other automakers to figure out either how to make cars less expensive or you know just fall fall by the wayside so um, while it's making more uh, cars available it's making electric vehicles less uh, you know the the MBAs at the top of GM and Ford are probably saying well we should make more F1 you know get more gas cars because we can we can make a big profit on those, whereas yeah. the electric cars we're not going to do well on. So it's it's an interesting situation. Yeah, I mean, if you you have like their blinders on and you don't like can, right. cannot think about like the future of the industry, yeah, it makes a ton of sense if you look at your spreadsheets and you're like, wait a minute, why are we even selling those vehicles while we right. have these trucks that we're making ten percent on and we're losing money on these. But yeah, like you need to keep making them until you make some money. Otherwise, you won't be making anything in a few years. Right. Uh, and we're going to have uh, some to talk about that a little bit later on this show. So keep um, two other news items and we can get to that too. All right. We had a big exclusive this week. We could confirm that Tesla is preparing to launch the Powerwall 3. Uh, so a new third generation version or third to well third generation there's already been like three different variations of the of the power wall but this is like uh the, the last one was like a 2.5 if you will right so a little quick timeline recap in 2015 tesla launched the tesla energy division launched pro wall one little device you see here a little bit more curvy and everything a little more capacity too and it was not long after i think less than two years after tesla launched the power wall two 
which is what we know the Powerwall to be now. The most volume has been deployed with the Powerwall 2, this device right here, and this is the gateway next to it. Um, this um, this uh, four, the 13.5 kilowatt hour one that uh, we all know these days. And then there was the Powerwall Plus that was launched in 2021, which is the Powerwall 2, but with an integrated inverter and the higher capacity output uh, um, that went to like uh, now 9.5 kilowatt. That's that's the power output. The energy capacity has never changed from the 13.5. So last year, uh, we had access to an internal uh, Tesla Energy meeting in which Seth Winger, um, the senior manager of solar product and engineering at Tesla, confirmed that Tesla had new energy products coming in 2022. Now, they didn't really come in 2022, but it teased like new uh, residential Tesla energy products. So a power wall, a new power wall version was rumored, a uh, new solar panel, solar roof and all that. And now we could confirm this week that Tesla has the new power wall three. And it, even uh, more than that, they had it certified with a handful of electric utilities. So when you connect a new product to a grid, the electric utility managing that grid has to approve it as certified equipment. And it has show up in the list of certified equipment in the few electric utility as the Powerwall 3. Now, the certification doesn't include any specs on the Powerwall 3. So we don't have that just yet. If you do know anything about it, just please make sure to reach out to me. I'll take a look. But uh, we know that it's coming very soon if uh, if they have it certified already. Uh, Winger had said that uh, from the new products, you can ex expect easier installation, better aesthetic, and higher performance. Uh, so we could expect that in Powerwall 3. Now, a lot of people, like you see, like the, our top comment here on the on this article was uh, uh, predicting a move from the NCA to LFP chemistry. So there have been a lot of people speculating that that could be the case. Uh, I don't. I don't necessarily know if that would be the case. Uh, it it would make sense because the chemistry in itself, when you just think about the the the, the longevity of it, uh, and um, the frequency of use versus deterioration, um, it sounds like it's perfect for a residential energy storage product. The only thing that makes me think that there might be some uh, pushback at Tesla from making the move to Powerwall is. It is lower energy capacity, so unless there was enough improvement to match the current capacity of the power wall, uh, they would need to make it either bigger or lower capacity. And Tesla already has most of its installation using more than one power wall, so uh, I don't know if it would be it would make sense to 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 do that move and to. Uh, even had more power wall per installation now if they have to lower the capacity because if not, they will have to increase the size. And that also plays into the easier installation part of it. And right now, that's one of the more difficult things about a power wall. You need more than one person to install it, uh, especially if you want to mount it flush on a wall. But uh, that's, that was also your first reaction, said You thought like, LFP might might make sense, right? Yeah, and and I don't know if we have considered like uh is there a uh rebate a federal rebate or will that would penalize uh having batteries made in china ah uh, yeah i don't know if that's part of the equation um and also like um you know it's nice to have something on your wall that you don't have to work around but maybe it'd be easier just to have like if these are lfp they're not only bigger but they're heavier 
like if it's less expensive, if you can save a ton of money, like just, you know, make it like a water heater and just put it in the corner somewhere. Like, uh, you know, don't have to mount it on the wall, like make it, make a less expensive version. So I don't know. Uh, not I mean, a flat one. It would have to be like standalone, like it's stand by itself. Like yeah, know, I mean it'd just be like a big refrigerator, you know, mm-hmm. just put it in the corner somewhere. I mean that that red thing kind of looks three dimensional, like that. Uh, oh, I, I I I don't know if that has anything to do with it. Maybe right. just like a stock image. I don't know. Okay. Maybe maybe you're right. I don't know. Uh, there's maybe it would be like a different product, like Powell. They would still sell Powell Two or Powell Plus and. Um, that's true whatever the power three would be i mean easier installation like you just yeah. roll it in and take the wheels off and that yeah. would be pretty easy yeah i agree with that all right and that, uh, that was due in 2022 right and this is no longer 2022 so it's yeah. all overdue well what else is new with tesla right right uh, still on the Tesla energy front, a new mega factory is coming to China. So Tesla already had a lot of success with the mega factory in Latrop, California. Uh, they are ramping it up right now to have a capacity of 40 gigawatt hour, which is about five times what Tesla delivered with Megapack and Powerwall and Powerpacks in 2022. Now um, they are just going with the same strategy of a mega factory to build Megapacks in China. Uh, so just makes a ton of sense uh, they have a giant capacity now in the u.s it makes sense to have one uh halfway around the world and uh serve the markets that are closer to that with that including china itself i'm sure china could use a lot of energy storage apparently it's the exact same thing 10,000 mega packs or about 40 gigawatt hour per year so it looks like they're going to just copy the plans from the late job factory and uh, deploy one in shanghai yep makes sense this is a pretty big deal. To like, for Tesla is now, you, I remember when Tesla was a small enough company that they would announce something like that and it would be like a big deal. But now Tesla is just so huge that this is like nothing. This is a factory that would probably have had over like what, uh, five to $10 billion in revenue per year. Yeah, it's not even worth mentioning. In a massive, very important market for the world, which is energy storage, which is used to stabilize the grid and take full advantage of renewable energy. So, But now it's like, all right, it's just Tesla building things again. All right, we're going to move on from Tesla news. We have a few non-Tesla news to discuss. Uh, and then we're going to take your comments and questions, guys. So see already a lot of uh, people are commenting right now. So if you can go into the comment section, you have a question for us or a subject you want us to discuss for a bit, we're going to have a good, uh, probably a good 20-something minute to discuss with you guys. So make sure to have your question in the comment section right now. All right, this uh, the new EPA rule which, uh, was released this week. Um, where uh, the federal government is going to try to force the industry to reach uh, 60% of electric vehicle market share in the U.S. by 2030, 67% by 2032. So this is uh, basically an update on the Avance clean car rules uh, and regulation that was uh, previously released. They are updating it, making it a little bit more aggressive. And... um, and yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's something that, like, uh, it's not clear at this point how much teeth it's going to have into forcing those automakers. What we're hearing from the automakers' lobbies in the U.S. right now is sort of positivity on it, which makes me think that it's, uh, it's garbage. <laughs> right. 
Exactly. Because <laughs> if there's anything that's going to force these automakers to build electric cars, normally the lobby just fights it like a bat out of hell. And now they're like, yeah, this is actually pretty good. <laughs> You're like, oh, <laughs> like, what? is it then? Uh, but yeah. And uh, so I assume it's going to be the same like uh, credit system uh, as they did before, which enables automakers that are ahead to sell some credits and make some money to encourage the and uh, to to avoid the fines on the other hand. But uh, yeah, 60% in 2030, we're not exactly impressed by that. I think that uh, I'm still sticking to my goal that by 2025, it's good. It's the market is going to be so different, so different with all the EV models available. Even though the volume won't be there, I think it's going to change the whole market in terms of like new car buyers are going to be very, very reticent to go with the non-electric vehicles because the future will become so much clearer. I mean, they're doing agree. that. They're saying that like 60% in 2030, 67% in 2032. But then there's all the other markets are saying by 2035, you won't be able to sell a non-electric vehicle. <laughs> so um, what happens between those few years? And before that, when everyone comes to that realization, now it's still a little bit abstract like for people like 2030 2035 is still far ahead you're like you still have time also most people they don't even buy new cars too so they don't even feel like they have uh uh like chips on the tables like they don't feel like they are part of the discussion right but new car buyers when you buy a new car they, they, they think about the resale value of it and all that and that takes a big role in it and if you buy a car that you think that it's basically going to be an antique by the time you sell it. Um, it's going to have no value. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's like buying, uh, what is it? Was it Beta on the VHS one? And everything. Right. Like it's like when you when you already knew that VHS is going to be the standard, you still went and bought a Beta. Uh, like, why, right. why would you do that? Um, buying a film, ca- film camera. There's a lot of metaphors. Yeah. You know, like- exactly. When the g- digital cameras came, even though they're making a comeback, <laughs> so that the the, yeah. the the film was, uh, but yeah, so so I just I I think the the, the mentality of new car buyers is going to change so much in the next two years that these goals won't have that much of an impact. It's it's going to be the impact is going to come from the all electric automakers staying strong. So Tesla mainly, obviously, hopefully Rivian has better footing by then, Lucid and all that. But then it's going to be the legacy automakers like GMs, like Ford, just scrambling to, all right, like realizing that we cannot rely on, a, on our gasoline um, vehicles right now to support us. We have to find a way to make these EVs in volumes and make them profitable and everything. And uh, I mean, I think that's already happening to some degree. Like this is like some kind of discussion within the people that are smart at those companies. But uh, I don't know if they are seeing that timeline like I am. I think they believe that 60% by 2030 timeline more than they do. Uh, actually, Jamie had an interesting chart here that showed that compared to the current uh, production uh, goals by 2030 of automakers versus the current volume of all vehicles, so electric and non-electric, and their own targets and overall sales by um 2030 
So GM is below that 60% target with a 40 to 50% target. They currently produce 2.2 million vehicles and they plan between 800,000 and 1.1 million. So well, what's useful with that chart here for you, I'm not going to go through everyone, obviously, but for people that are interested, you can go through it here and see, okay, well, by 2030, if GM only plans to have 50% of their EVs, uh, of their vehicle being electric, well, they plan for their sales to go down from 2.2 million to 1 million. Like that's the way I see it personally. Same. Yeah. I, I just don't see any other way. So there's a lot of people are in the same boat. The Toyota, Toyota, obviously, like, like they are scrambling right now. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing. But uh, Ford is the same, similar boat. Stenlentis, similar boat. Uh, Honda also. Uh, so basically just Daimler is in it. But obviously Daimler is in a different position in the U.S. They don't have those lower market other than a smart, but that's not much. Volvo. Uh, good plan, but of course, much lower volume than those other automakers. Same for Jaguar and Land Rover and all that. So obviously, a lot, a lot relies on these uh, EV brands like Tesla, Rivian, Polestar, Lucid, and all that. Like it's the they're gonna have room to take a lot of market share. That's the exciting part. Yep. All right, uh, let's start to, to talk a little bit about your LA trip here because you had some nice wheels on that LA trip. You managed to score uh, EQS SUV and then an AMG EQE after that. So how was that set? So uh, a, a few years ago, I was talking to a Kia guy about coming to LA and uh, he was like, well, why don't we get you a car while you're here? And I was like, what? You can do that? Like I can just, yeah. you know, take a car from the airport and... He's like, yeah, we'll just drop it off the airport with keys and you pick it up and you drop it off a week later and you, know, you write about how you like, you know, if you liked it. I was like, wow, that's tough really life, cool. Tough life. Yeah, I know. Exactly. So, I mean, basically you're, you're getting a, yeah. a very, like a really nice rental car for nothing. And all you have to do is, you know, write about the experience. Theoretically, that's pretty sweet. Um, you know, like it does take some time. Like you have to kind of plan around it a little bit, but. Uh, so I took advantage of that. Uh, I knew I was going to LA about three or four months in advance. Um, I reached out to like the car that I would like the most probably in LA and Mercedes was the first one. And they were like, yeah, we'll do it. And not only like, I, I was thinking I was probably going to EQB, you know, the $55,000 kind of, you know, whatever. Uh, they offered a EQS SUV and, kind of a mid-tier like they have real you know like a hundred fifty thousand version they have a hundred thousand version they give me like a hundred thirty thousand dollar version of it uh it's called the formatic uh 450 it's not quite the most powerful and fastest version um but it's like pretty well specced out um the eqb or eqs uh both the, the sedan and the uh suv both kind of look uh i don't want to say like a buick but like just very generic like if you look at it from the side like we're looking at on the it's kind of like what is that that's not that's nothing special that's not a hundred fifty hundred thirty thousand dollar car uh the front is a little bit nicer um it's got that big uh, plastic thing and it's even better in the uh amg version but inside is kind of where the the uh, mercedes shines um it's just an incredibly like large all-around uh, in interior, like we had all of our suitcases, no problem. 
the kids love the back they have uh headphones that come along uh we went snowboarding uh on like the tuesday um no problem throwing uh three snowboards back there boots helmets all the other stuff um we just kind of threw them in we didn't even have to arrange them we didn't have to put down seats um this has this one has a third row um and even with the third row up there's still plenty of space you could line up a, a bunch of groceries you know kids sports equipment uh, there's my son um you know lots of space in there uh in the third row with cup holders charging equipment Everything. There's not the ton of leg room, obviously, in the third room. Not that I would expect any, but the seats themselves, they look pretty damn comfortable. Yeah, and, and the leg room, you can kind of move the middle row uh, back yeah. and forward a little bit. Um, yeah, that's a beefy middle row here. Look at that. Yeah, it's. I mean, everything in it is pretty beefy. I think it's uh, a really heavy... Uh, that's you in the third row? Vehicle. Yeah. yeah, that's me in the third row. Uh, you know, almost six feet tall. It's, it wasn't super comfortable back there, but it was it was doable i would you know like a trip back from the airport or or something like that would be doable but i wouldn't want to go on a road trip there mm-hmm. um so yeah super super nice car uh you know we we drove so one of the things that i was curious about is you know the range on the highway how how like significant uh you know a, a toll would be going up the mountain when it's cold you know at the top uh going 80 miles per hour because that's how people drive in la um so you know we left with about 280 miles uh we got up there and i don't you know i didn't think i had enough to to come back down so um we stopped you know at dinner at a charge point uh a dc fast charger which said 50 kilowatts but was actually closer to 33 kilowatts <laughs> um but you know that was enough. And then, you know, what something I thought about, but I didn't really, you know, draw out the math is like we were actually at 8,000 feet and we were going down to zero feet. So there was a lot of regen to be had. So I think I arrived in in Los Angeles having used like 30 or 40 miles uh, hmm. instead of the 120 miles that we had we had come. So there was a lot of regening. Um and we probably would have made it round trip. So the round trip was 240 miles. Um, and we had 280 miles of range. So long story short, uh, the EQS SUV gets pretty close to its EPA estimate range, even in kind of adverse conditions. Um, another thing, just like not, not e- Mercedes or EQ specific, but I found, you know, we were staying in Airbnb. It didn't have street, uh, street charging or a garage or anything. But I found it pretty easy in LA to like have an electric vehicle, like not, you know, whatever. Like we found places like at the beach, there's like a whole like 30 rows of uh, charge point that we would charge on for four or five hours while we were there. Um, you know, when we were in Redondo Beach, there was a, a charger at a municipal building that across from the library that was super easy. And, you know, it just wasn't hard to to be an EV driver in LA, I thought, um, you know, maybe inland a lot more, it might be a little different, obviously. Um, some people are going to have, you know, harder, like if you have a long commute to work, for instance, maybe you have to charge up more and we, we were only driving, you know, like 30 or 40 miles a day. So it wasn't like we were and you know, this thing has close to 300 miles of range. So theoretically, uh, and you know, 
but we did leave the vehicle with plenty of charge. So, you know, we were keeping up with that. Um, and then uh, they switched me to the uh, EQE, the AMG version of the EQE, which my wife and I had the exact opposite reaction. <laughs> she was like, this is worse in every way. It's smaller. <laughs> it's, it's uh, you know, way less mileage range. Uh, you know, less trunk space, less space in the back for the kids. Uh, just, you know, the suspension was like kind of hard instead of the super soft, you know, the EQS SUV. Uh, me, I was like, holy crap, this thing is awesome. People are talking, you know, people are stopping us and saying, hey, what the heck is that thing? Uh, it, it was super fast. Um, you know, it's like Tesla performance speed. Um, I think it's 3.2 seconds they, they quote for the zero to 60. Um, but like once you get to three seconds, it's pretty, pretty much just like neck yeah. damage. Um, and, you know, the, it wasn't quite as much room as the EQ. SUV, obviously, but, uh, you know, we had three suitcases in there, a bunch of backpacks, you know, plenty of room. Skateboards. A couple skateboards. Uh, you know, it's the family vacation. Um, and the kids were fine in the back. Nobody was complaining. Um, as far as, uh, you know, the steering wheel, a little busy. I don't know if you uh, have ever seen one of these things, but it's just like, <laughs> it's like, what is going on here? <laughs> it reminds me of that. In the Star Wars, like when that the, the uh one of the Sith Lord like where like went had like two arms and two lightsabers and then his two arms became like four arms, like yeah, like, super aggressive. It looked like that. It 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 was a little overwhelming at first. And you know, I had been with the EQS, which is a little bit more tamed down mm -hmm. um previously, so I knew where the important stuff was, and then you know, there's the like you know, crazy fast mode, which like, you know, I've got my wife and kids in the car. I'm not going to break any necks. Is it, is it one of those buttons for the yeah. crazy fast Yeah. Yeah. One of those down there. Um, and you know, everything else is pretty much similar. Um, they, they made paddles for the, uh, the regen, the amount of regen instead of just buttons. So that looks kind of more race car-y, but it's really just the same, same thing. Um, but yeah, like, uh, Really impressed with both cars. Um, obviously, depending on your desires and needs. Um, yeah. You know, obviously, if if you're a a guy who wants to go fast and and or or girl who wants to go fast, the EQ, the AMG EQE was quite nice. But uh, if you're more focused on family and a soft, cushy ride and not zero to sixty, uh, the EQS SUV was also quite nice. Um, the downside, obviously, is the price. These are $130,000 cars. Like, you know, the EQE, the AMG EQE, kind of similar size to like a performance Model 3, which, you know, half the price. Or even a, a, a BMW i4, what is that, M450 or something it's called. Uh, so, you know, is it worth the double price? I don't know. Like, it's nicer, but it's not, probably not double the price nicer. It looks cool. Like uh, if if you want to kind of attract attention, uh, this there's is, a lot of that is, in L.A. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a very L.A. car. It felt very yeah. like I felt very at home there. Yeah, when I was living there, I was like, especially when you're the electric car guy, and every time I would see a one of those like Mercedes S class and everything. Like that that is not a Uber because honestly, some some of that too. Like, but. Like someone driving their Mercedes S class, I'm like, what? 
why why are you not driving a Tesla Model S or something like it's cheaper like you save on gas and it's, it's faster it's like but but I think there's there's something about it for some people in LA where like oh they want the Mercedes they want the BMW they want all that so I guess for that it makes sense but uh, yeah well, I don't I'm not that familiar with the gasoline lineup at Mercedes I don't know how it compares in terms of the luxury of a like obviously the EQS is the S class and everything. EQE is the E class, but the E class is so much cheaper than that. No, can you get it like an AMG E class at well, that price? The AMG just like doubles the price. I think the regular yeah. E class starts at, or the EQE that starts at like seventy. It's not. It's not as um, insane. So maybe okay, I didn't know there was that big of a jump with the AMG package. Yeah, and I I have to say like you know I've been a Tesla owner for ten years. I love Teslas. Uh, the quality. Like the build quality is like oh, not even in the same. Yeah, same more universe. luxurious for sure. Yeah, and and the ride I would say also is like smoother, pretty, pretty smooth. Yep. Yeah. So, but also less efficient. Right. Yeah. That that the, the uh, EQS has a hundred eight uh, kilowatt hour battery pack, and the um, the EQE has ninety ish kilowatt hours. So. Uh, they're not getting a ton of range for the, the, the big batteries that they have. Yeah, that's definitely true. All right. Uh, the ID7 has leaked this week. A uh, leak is coming from, I think it was from China. Yeah. Uh, they they revealed the, um, uh, from the authorities that they have to register the car with. So it's already been, uh, we all, all the images and, uh, well, there's only two images. Well, <laughs> we have two images, but they revealed the whole design of the car and some of the specs. Uh, so pretty good looking car here. Like it's going to be the full size sedan uh, compared to the, the Passat. I think you said, said that's comparable to. Yeah. The Passat or I'm kind of blanking on the other, the big Volkswagens, but yeah. Uh, well, they're talking about a rain. Oh, no, that was the prototype. That was uh, so that the specs here are, well, we have the dimensions so again, uh, they're similar to the ID6 apparently. Okay. Um, yeah, and we're gonna get the full reveal on Monday. There's like yeah. a global launch. Um, I can say that those are not right. Okay. So <laughs> or, or what, those what, are not the, the global specs. Uh, yeah. So, so specs. Volkswagen does produce some cars in China, and then this is the, the name. They have the same naming skill, but the car they're sometimes a little bit different when they're produced in Germany or somewhere else in Europe or now in the U.S. now with the ID4 being produced in, uh, in Tennessee. So, yeah, they're talking about a 77 kilometer battery pack, uh, 155 kilometers an hour stop speed, 201 horsepower. But from what we've been hearing about the upcoming launch uh, of the North American or global version of the car uh, coming next week, it's not exactly that. So we're going to have an update on that uh, coming soon enough. Uh, lastly, a quick little uh, delivery numbers on uh, Lucid for Q1. So it was released this week, and uh, it was a little bit disappointing. It came uh, lower than expected. At um, so in the first quarter, they produced two thousand three hundred and fourteen Lucid Airs, and they delivered only fourteen hundred of those. So quite a big gap of uh, delivery difference, and uh, in term of uh, how it compares to the guidance for this year. Well, uh, Lucid was uh, expecting between 10,000 and 14,000 deliveries. So it's 
right now on the lower end of that margin. But that was also updated down badly in Q4 uh, from the original 20,000 that was supposed to be delivered in 2023. Um, so people were asking, especially like, what's the big difference between the production and the, uh, and the deliveries? Uh, and also it's a big uh, drop from uh, uh, Q4. So quarter to quarter, it's a big drop from building 3,493 lucid air and delivering 1,932. So that's uh, almost 500 fewer cars delivered uh, in Q1 versus Q4 of last year. So not great. Um, no. I'm going to keep an eye on that, what's happening with Lucid there. because uh, should be heading in the other direction right now. It, they should be. Especially they said they have 28,000 reservation holders. So, but reservation holders and buyers are not the same thing. So there's even though in, time of, in term of Lucid, I think there was a significant deposit uh, for for to get a reservation. So it does show a somewhat strong show of interest in buying the car, but still not always easy to get them to pull a trigger on an actual order. So maybe that, maybe it's vehicle in transit. Maybe we don't know yet. Where are those other thousand cars though? Like yeah. they're produced. They're just not, I wonder if that's a supply chain issue or yeah, delivery not, issue. Not so sure. But what I do know is that we're moving on to questions. So if you guys have questions, put in the comment section right now. We're going to start getting to them right now. All right. N.A. Sullivan says, question, when the new single stack FSD being used on the freeway, people will who only have basic autopilot get updated to the new stack for freeways, or are we stuck on the old autopilot stack? Thanks. Oh, that's an interesting question. Uh, so he's saying for people that haven't bought the full self-driving package. Hmm. I don't know that. I don't, I'm going to look into that because that is an interesting question, though. Uh, I haven't heard about it. Personally, I have. Well, said that, uh, yeah. No, you don't have a car anymore that has the, don't have the FSD. I either right? have, I have two Pesos. One has nothing and one yeah. has everything. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. You don't have one that just has the autopilot. Uh, well, I guess we need to ask uh, some people that have just the autopilot and not the FSD. Uh, but uh, uh, so far, I wouldn't worry too much about it, to be honest with you. Like it's, it is. I, I, I don't, I don't think it's an improvement that much, if any, right now. Actually, I've been using it a little bit more. Like I know that I said I was somewhat impressed last week, and I, and I am. But this week, I did experience a few issues. Um, you can see that uh, the FSD on the highway has more liberty than uh, the autopilot. Like it's not as much about like we just like follow this lane, you stay in the middle of this lane and, and whatnot. It's you, you can see that it thinks more and, and everything. And you can see it specifically if you're not using navigation. So I would use navigation. I use it more now. Like if I'm going to my parents, they live like 15 minutes away. I know exactly how to get there. I don't need navigation, but I, if I, the, the 10 minutes I have to do on the highway to get there, I see a big difference if I'm using it or not. Because uh, especially when there's a, a off-ramp and the, the lanes that are not painted very well or something like that, it's uh, normally autopilot will just fly right through that. But uh, with the FSD, the, it, you see it start thinking. And even though it stays within the lane, it, it, it will move more within the lane, like trying to make that decision. It's not fun. It slows down to... When it sees something like that, you can so you can see like it's slowing down, thinking, all right, what are we doing here? Okay, we're still going forward. So it, it doesn't require disengagement or anything like that, but it's a lot less smooth than autopilot, in my opinion, so far. I haven't had uh, enough time to 
play with the update we just got it last week so yeah uh it is it so i wonder if they would update people on with just autopilot to the full self-driving but only full self-driving on freeways yeah that, i think that's what he's asking basically yeah yeah i don't know it would All make right, sense I think. yeah i mean why why keep two yeah. two systems around and then he he had cyber Frank, the wiper is not that bad uh the wiper is pretty bad uh <laughs> i think it like having that big pole on there what would be kind of cool is like if you could just store it somewhere uh when you, you don't know, need like, it yeah i don't know you live in the desert i don't know uh will friedman i hope the model 3 front end update makes it easier to replace the headlamps i had some burnout and replacing it required a mobile technician to remove a significant part of the front of the car i haven't had that um but i have i don't know if it you or anybody else has this um my rear lamps on my model three are just full of moisture oh yeah that happens Uh, yeah and i don't know if i'm gonna have to do something about that i mean i guess it's fine but it seems like a pain in the butt i think i had that on my model three early on and then they fixed it yeah next time i go in I'll, i'll see if they can do something all right, Jonathan Root, do you foresee government regulators cracking down on Tesla for its lack of repairability, accessibility of parts, and code with third-party repair shops? No, not necessarily. Uh, if anything, we see Tesla like slowly improving on that front. Um, we reported more recently on, uh, on, on the repair manuals being more accessible now. Uh, so I think um, no, I think they're making progress on that front, and I, I don't I don't see the government getting involved right now, not not at this degree. Spike forty three asks uh, or is wondering, uh, most of the older computers seem to have been left behind for updates. So that's that's the addition there. Um, yeah, you know I I have two point five on my Model Three. I'm always trying to get that the technicians to upgrade me, but. No, no dice, because I would like to have a faster computer on there. Uh, Dan Overstay, I wish we could set up profiles for the front passenger seat position, passenger seat position. I have one set for rear passengers and vacuum to move the driver's seat with one press. I can make uh, room in the rear. Oddly specific, but makes sense, I guess. But but is he, is he not saying that he, he has done it? So he, he has it like you can do it with the. I think. Oh, I think you know, with the with the driver's seat, you can do it, but right. not with the passenger. Okay, yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, let's move on. Scron Finkel, question: When do you cover Chem Power's best DC chargers after Tesla expanding to the U.S.? Or did I miss this? I don't know what Chem Power is. To be honest, never heard you. of it. Yeah. Uh, Greg Poland, question: Any news on when Park Assist will work on my new Model Y? If my <laughs> wife bumps into something while parking, will Tesla pay for it? <laughs> Yeah, I've not been hearing good things about this Park Assist uh, without ultrasonic sensors. Uh, well, um, unless you're like one of those uh, Omar and, and, and friends that like FSD is the best thing that has ever happened since sliced bread. Apparently <laughs> for them, like it works perfectly. But for everyone else, like I've been right. hearing that, yeah, it's not, it's not good. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, I mean, Tesla has made some improvements uh, on its. Um, I'm blanking vision system, but this one seems like one where 
especially like Tesla doesn't have like great vision for close to the car. Like to park assist, the, the big advantage of the ultrasonic sensors is like you get like inches uh, from, you, you can get inches from an object and still feel confident about it. Uh, I, I've seen I've seen pictures of like people they, they take pictures of our of their parking jobs, and uh, they, they they thought that they had like plenty of room based on the parking assist, but like they parked like this close and they're like freaking out. And that's the other thing too is like especially if you're used to these kinds of cars, like I, I mean parking assist system have been around for a little bit now, but you know if you've been driving like older cars, like it's still new for some people. But if it's been in your something you've been using for like five, 10 years, and now you're buying a new Tesla and you think, all right, it's not, it's going to be, I'm still going to have it because it's been around forever. And then you get that, <laughs> you you lose the capacity to do those parking jobs without it. And um, yeah, it can create some situation like like Greg is talking about right now with his wife. Yeah. And it's, it's even more interesting because you know how Tesla, uh, when they move away from the system, even if your car has the hardware, they sometimes... Don't do that. I don't, yeah. I, if they take away my my ultrasonic sensor, even yeah. though they are in my car and I paid for them, right? Oh, I would be mad. No, I would actually. Just... Th that's one thing I would not do software updates for. I would. Mm -hmm. I would just. Yeah, you, you would try to avoid the update. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hopefully they don't do that, so mm -hmm. we never have to stop updating. Uh, Dan Ober, uh, Powerwall three installation text will bring Optimus robot to lift the unit onto the wall. Obviously, yeah. that's. That's going to happen. Yeah, uh, regarding Powerwall 3, yeah. Regarding Powerwall 3, if it's not wall mountable, that would make it difficult to put them in a garage without losing yeah. lots of floor space. That's true. Obviously, that's the big that's the big advantage right now. Like they don't take any space in my garage right now. I have this is this is almost 30 kilowatt hour of battery capacity, and it's like nothing. Yep. Uh, Mark Webb also LFP can't really be sighted outside the building. That's interesting uh, because of poor performance in winter. I guess maybe they could have a you know, Florida version or a southern mm -hmm. U.S. version that would have a, a LFP. That's a great point. Mm -hmm. LFP doesn't do well in cold. Uh, question, just saw an I-PACE. Haven't heard that word in a while. In real life for the first time in months, what's going on with that car? Did it have battery recall? Um, We've been asking for a battery recall or for, for more information about it because we we tracked a bunch of different fires, battery fires related to it, and we know that it has LG cells like the Bolt and um, the Hyundai's. So, but as far as I know, there hasn't been a battery recall yet. But yeah, it makes sense that you haven't seen a lot of them around because they just it's just not a high volume vehicle at all, like at all. All right. Uh, however, LFP would be great for indoor installation where it's being used at 100% backup where you have to charge charge 100% all the time for people who have net metering instead of time of use. Yeah, that, that the, for, the chemistry makes a lot of sense for the longevity you get with often used. Like, that's, why, that's why I love my power walls because I don't need net metering right now. Like We have cheap hydroelectricity, so I use them for backup power. From backup power, like... Uh, these things get used like once every few months. Uh, they don't, and they get charged at eighty percent otherwise. Unless there's a storm coming, and that actually worked. Last the last podcast or the one before that, actually we did the podcast on Powerwall, and it was perfect. And then we didn't realize it was happening. So 
uh, and uh, and I, they charged up before the podcast because they knew a storm was coming, and they automatically charged up to a hundred percent. Otherwise, they stay at eighty all the time. All right, moving forward, Bike Angeles. I'm in the market for a solar home battery backup. Should I wait for the new Tesla Powerwall? Will it only be sold to customers of Tesla solar panels? No. Uh, no and no. You should not wait because it's not easy to get one right now. So you place an order right now. Uh, Bake Angelisa, I don't know if you're in Los Angeles, but I'd be surprised if you can get one <clears throat> Sorry, soon. So if you're in the market for one, I would try to get one as soon as possible. And so the, you may, the solar home battery pack, so it sounds like you already have solar. You want to add the battery pack to it. For that, it might be a little bit harder to get one. It's not impossible, but it, it's, again, you might have to wait a little bit again. Uh, but you don't have to go directly from Tesla if, uh, if you're buying solar with it. So there are plenty of other solar installers that install solar panels entire solar system and are certified to install Tesla's Powerwall too, uh, all over the U.S. All right, Dan Oberstay is back. What time frame do you all predict that gas stations will begin to disappear due to lack of business because of EVs? That's something I was thinking about uh, during the uh, conversation of when uh, we're going to mm -hmm. go to full EVs. I mean, there's still a lot of cars on the road, even if we stop selling uh, electric vehicles. Um, and it's a lot cheaper to just leave a gas station than to build one or to take one down. And a lot of gas stations sell a lot of you know, groceries and stuff. So I don't think it'll be as fast as we think or maybe even hope. But what are your thoughts, Fred? Well, I think like with the also the uh, labor crisis that we're experiencing, too, uh, especially for those kind of jobs or service jobs that a lot of people want to do. North America, at least. Um, I think what we're going to see, we're going to see uh, some of them will stay open, but a lot of them will close. And but the way they will close, most likely uh, they would become some kind of convenience stores and most most likely they will be like some kind of automated convenience stores, I think, or partly automated, I should say. It's going to be hard to fully automate them. But um, you see a lot of that these days, like people working on technologies to make stores um, automated, so I, I think we're going to see that. We're going to see people like keep using those locations as a as convenience store and less so as gas station. Yeah, and, and another piece of that is abandoning buried fuel tanks. Is it a costly expense? I fear gas stations will cut and run, leave the tanks for the government to deal with. Uh, that is a, a thing to think about. Mm. I don't know. Really? Uh, well, what's the problem with, with that? Like if they are empty, like is that a big issue? Just like uh, you know, if you spill something or if there's been mm -hmm. spillage or leakage, then it's like a catastrophe, and you got to get specialized people to clean up the dirt and mm. dispose of it or whatever. Makes sense. Well, I would I would feel like they would leave them empty, like they wouldn't. Like Most... again, we're talking about new car sales. Like the current right. fleet is going to be mostly gasoline for still probably 10, 15 years before it would start being majority electric even though the new car cells will be majority electric way before that. All right. Uh, moving around a little bit, Brian Roberts question. Have you heard any updates on Dojo with all the AI, AI hype? Dojo as a service would seem to be quite compelling. Well, uh, that's a good opportunity to talk about uh, that post that you just did yeah. right before the, the show. Uh, Elon yeah. Musk is forming his own 
AI team outside of Twitter and Tesla, and he's buying NVIDIA chips. So yeah. I don't know what that says about... Well, it's, it, it, there's actually an, an update, a small update directly on that. Like Elon went on a Twitter space this week and did briefly talk about Dojo, saying that there's going to be a lot of opportunities. He sort of hinted at something he hinted in the past where uh, Tesla could sell Dojo as a service. Uh, like you just mentioned, so but that was just a quick comment. So it sounds like this is still in the plans, but it sounds like Dojo Tesla doesn't have a full cluster just yet. Uh, so Tesla is still working toward that, and they they do have their pre-Dojo clusters that they're still using too with NVIDIA GPUs and whatnot. So yeah, it sounds like they're still working on that. What uh, Seth just referenced to is uh, I just posted an article about a, a report that just came out that uh, Elon is starting his own AI startup. It uh, looks like a serious report from the Financial Times that uh, shows that he's poached about six uh, AI engineers and researchers. And uh, what's I found it interesting and why I report, and we don't, we don't really report on just Elon stuff normally. We report it when it, it relates to Tesla or electric vehicles in general or renewable energy. But in this case, well, I think it does relate to Tesla is that uh, the, they made it clear that the startup that is, is, is putting together is to compete with OpenAI. And Elon co-founded OpenAI and left the company because, supposedly because of a conflict of interest with Tesla's own AI effort. And since then, he, and specifically like competing for employees, for talent, uh, that was the main issue. And Tesla since then has ramped up its own AI effort. And Elon said that Tesla had the best AI team in the world and then added that Tesla will play a role in developing uh, artificial general intelligence (AGI), uh, so this brings up the question: What what changed since then? Since OpenAI, since leaving OpenAI, like if you start your own AI startup and Tesla is doing what you claim Tesla is doing, which is being in the AI space in a in a in a more general way than just uh, self-driving car, which has been the main use of AI for Tesla so far, then this new startup is going to compete for Tesla for talent and also presumably for general inter uh, artificial intelligence that could be used in something like uh, the Optimus Tesla bot. Right. And then, you know, as a Tesla investor, you have to be a little bit frustrated because like uh, Elon's pulled some of Tesla's best engineers to work on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, he's going to do the same thing for his, you know, AI startup. Uh, don't like that. Like, uh, and we just like, lost Tesla. Just lost Capertee to uh, to OpenAI. So, right. and then he unfollowed Capertee after it, and now he's launching a competing startup to OpenAI. Uh, like uh, it doesn't. Nothing about that looks good for Tesla, in my opinion. No, and it's a little bit frustrating. It's like one of those things. Like as a shareholder, like dude, like leave the Tesla mm -hmm. engineers at Tesla. Oh, no. Like, yeah, get your own uh, folks to work on your pet projects um all right moving on um electric independent utility systems manual uh electric even want to drone race and heavy pull oh yeah we have some commentary he's kind of like uh a train of thought here let's move on question gm delivered six hundred thousand or so vehicles in q1 is that worldwide or just the u.s i believe that's the u.s if if total tesla seems to be catching up uh they're catching up regardless but i think that's six hundred thousands would be the u.s right yeah but, but at the same time gm is like the u.s is their biggest market by a, a long shot and then right and then it's china, not but, like but china is also china is joint ventures 
for GM. Unlike All right, Tesla. so George Cintron is not a Mercedes fan. He's had a Mercedes. They're just maintenance sponsors, and I don't see anything changing with their AVs. Yeah, no, but I don't know how much of that is Mercedes' fault, which I'm sure there's some issues with that sometimes for sure, and how much is the dealership model's fault because there, I've heard right. some horror stories about just dealership, just, you know, when you think you have a Mercedes owner, oh, he's rich, I can just, like, charge him a bunch of things that, like, just to uh, just to, to make money off of them, and it's easy to do that, apparently. <laughs> All right, George Cintron. Hopefully, Lucid makes it through production hell because they make one hell of a vehicle. I agree that, especially. With I, those, I like, need to get inside a, a, a Lucid here. I, I, I talked to them a few months ago, and then they, they just they stopped talking to me. I would like to test one because I've heard good things and I've heard bad things. And I know Scooter liked it when he did your the, his review, and you mm-hmm. you enjoyed it too. Uh, but I've been hearing from other people that it's not all that. So I would like to get my own opinion on it. Got to got to get your own opinion. Yeah. All right. Question. What's your take on Silicon anode technology? Will it be able to scale? Will it have adequate cycles? Which company is most likely to succeed? Uh, we, we've been hearing some good things. Like it's still early days in terms of uh, volume production on that. Uh, there's, uh, but it's, it does sound like it's going to be in the mix of things. Like it's going to be an healthy mix of uh, silicon anode and, and, and then uh, natural anodes. So uh, it's, uh, I, I, I won't win sure into saying which company is going to be able to succeed. Uh, but from from the kind of uh, investments that have been going into that sector lately and already some production happening and whatnot, uh, I think it's going to be in the mix of things, but it's, it's going to be part of the supply chains. All right. One more comment, George Cintron. Contrary to popular belief, the real answer to most EV drivers isn't charging infrastructure. I'm already in disagreement. But range. Yeah. Uh, with more range, there's almost no need to charge at a DC fast charger. Well, that's uh, that's so untrue because like uh, if if you do have like home charging, then yeah, you don't need that much range. But then if you don't have access to more charging, you do need a lot of range and DC fast chargers because you need to you you won't just go to a charging station and wait the whole day to charge your car. So like the you, you need everything. You need all these solutions. You need a nice mix of them depending on the market and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, you, I don't, we don't really need EVs with longer range than we have right now. On average, it might they, they will go up on the average. But on the, on the top end, the range we have right now, I think that will stay for the most part the top end. They, they, there's going to be a few... Other EVs that come up as like uh, like flagship vehicles are going to be way more expensive, like a roadster type like vehicle that can get 600 miles of range and whatnot. Sure, but that won't be like the, the, the bulk of the long-range EVs. The bulk of the long-range EVs are going to be 300 to 400 miles EVs. Then you're going to get most EVs are going to be at the 200 miles range. And then you're going to get even a few EVs uh, under 200 miles for city driving. Uh, and then you need a bunch of charging infrastructure solutions from city charging to long distance DC fast charging to destination charging and all that. It's, it's not, not that complicated. Yeah. I mean, think about, you know, if you want to go 500 miles on a charge, that's great. That's eight hours without going to the bathroom, without stretching your legs, without moving around. If you could go 300 miles and you know, that's what five hours or something. Uh, that's pretty good. 
time to between uh, charging stops. And if the chargers are everywhere and they're very fast and your car charges in 15 minutes, that's kind of what we're you're describing like a gas powered vehicle. Like you're describing what we've been using forever. Like forever. Someone, this is exactly, this is not an acceptable solution now that we're electric for some reason. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's also why gas cars don't have 80 gallon tanks. Like they could put an 80 gallon tank in a gas car, but no one's going to use it. You're just going right. to be carrying that gas and losing efficiency for the first part of it. Right. And that's the other thing. Like the lucid air does a really good job of schlepping around a hundred, what 30 kilowatt hour battery. But like, I, I, I only have like a uh, 70 kilowatt hour battery in my model three. And I'm like, why am I carrying around 300 miles of range? I go like 10 miles a day. Like I, I don't need that. So I think, as people get used to EVs, it'll kind of turn into that. Or maybe, maybe some people out there really need the range, and they can fill up their trunk with batteries. And yeah, so that's the the thing with Jorge Centron here. Like it's maybe your way of using cars. It makes more sense for you to have a longer range, and that's why you have a Lucid Air GT. By the way, congrats! It's a beautiful car. But it, Based on the, um, we're talking about how most people use their cars. From the way most people use their car, um, we need a bunch of different charging solutions. And for the most part, the range on the single charge is not that important for the most part. All right, we're we're nearing the end here. Uh, Mark Webb yeah. kind of comments: I'd rather have an efficient 800 volt Tesla with the same size battery as now, faster charging. That makes a lot of sense. And yeah, I mean, that, that's we're so close right now to like when you take the whole package together, I think electric vehicles are a better product than a gasoline car as a whole when you compare them. Uh, then they are, but you, you can look at each point of each one as saying like there's pros and cons. And so they have there's pros on the gasoline side and there's cons. On the EV side, but as a whole, I think the EVs are already way better. But yeah, I think with with just a few little improvement, like a 800 volt system with the efficiency that Tesla is already known for, uh, ability to charge just a tiny little bit quicker, then you eliminate those cons versus the the pros of the gasoline cars, and then it's it's game over basically. Because there's no like right now. There's no one that I really can sit down with that, that tells me that they don't believe in electric car. There's no one that I cannot convince, but you have to give me some time. So I have to, to work a little bit. But soon enough, with all the, the, the new vehicles coming up, with all the big improvement, it's going to be so easy. It's going to sell themselves, basically. And uh, I think that's it for us this week. Oh, no, we have... Yep. Uh, uh, yeah. It's just conversation. I'm, I'm throwing it up there. So Perfect, perfect. Well... Uh, we went a little bit long this week, so I appreciate every single one of you that is still watching right now. Uh, thank you very much. If you do enjoy the show, if you can give us a thumbs up uh, and a subscribe, that would be extremely helpful. We have more videos coming up soon. Uh, I think I'm just getting my footage now from the electric snowmobile, uh, so I'm going to be able to post that soon. Um, I also have an interview with uh, the CEO of Tiger San Bruno, so if you are interested in that, you can you can be able to check that out. And um, if you are listening on your podcast app, if you can give us a five-star review on, the, on your app, that would be super helpful. Uh, free to do. Take a moment and it helps the show a lot. So I appreciate every single one of you. We're going to see you same place, same time next week. Have a fun one.